Let's pray together. Lord, we continue in worship of you as we study your word. Pray that you might speak to us. We know that you have revealed to us many things already through your word. And so as we study it this morning together, as we hear it proclaimed, God, may you through your Holy Spirit do work in our lives and that we might recognize that you are the one at work. God, help us to see you this morning. Help us to hear from you this morning. Not so that we have a new feeling, but instead that we might recognize how incredible you are. And then in our recognition of that, Lord, that we might surrender our entire lives our entire life to you. That we might be reminded that we've been crucified with Christ. Christ lives now in us, through us. So we belong to you. God, and as many in this room have confessed Christ as Lord, we're just saying that you are Lord of Lords, that you are holy. God, I was to walk in a manner worthy of representing that, representing you as our holy and righteous Lord. God, and as we wrestle this morning with power and with authority and with righteousness, help us to submit to you. God, as we, as we wrestle with who or what we worship, what we do with our time and our resources. God, help us not to be led into temptation, but deliver us from evil so that your will might be accomplished. God, as your word warns us, let us be reminded this morning that we are not fighting against flesh and blood but instead the one that is against us wants to devour us. And so help us to listen and hear your voice as the good shepherd. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This morning, we are going to be in several places within God's word. And I will do my best to slowly say them so that you can join us at those places so that we can study Scripture together. First, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 28 to a set of Scripture that you have studied a number of times that you've heard preached way too many times. But I need to start here as a reminder of what the commission on your life as a follower of Jesus really is. And so Matthew chapter 28, we're going to read together uh, verses 16 through 20. 
as a reminder. For the past four weeks, we've been studying four really marks of discipleship or four particularly things that would happen if you are a disciple of Jesus, things that we could identify within you or with without of you, the things that are coming flowing out of you. One of them is faithful proclamation of Christ and his teaching or teachings. Another is that you would be obediently abiding in Christ. Another is that you would be seeking to be showing unity through love, particularly unity with one another, unity with the people belonging to God, unity with the brothers and sisters in Christ. And this morning we're going to talk about the disciples of Jesus recognize the power, the authority, and the righteousness of Christ. That there is no greater power, there is no greater authority, and that righteousness only comes through Jesus. And so people belonging to God, people claiming to be disciples of Jesus, recognize who has all power, who has all authority, and who has all righteousness. So Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20 say this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when he saw them, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I've said this before. You've heard it before. But I wonder how many in the very room that we're in this morning are in this scenario. That Some of you know Jesus. Some of you recognize who Christ is. And you want to worship him. But some of you still doubt that. And maybe you would never say it with your words because you're afraid of that. Not, not because you're afraid of Jesus, but you're afraid of what your peers might think of you if you were to say, I doubt in Jesus. But your actions show that. When trauma, when tragedy, when suffering comes, your actions prove your doubt in Jesus. Thanks be to God that forgiveness covers even doubt. Thanks be to God that when Christ died on the cross and resurrected from the grave, that he freed you from even that doubt. And that we can cry out like the dad in scripture that says, please help my unbelief. And so because some worshipped and some doubted, Jesus felt the need to say these these words in verse 18. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So a few things that we need to be reminded of with this great commission, and these few things are found in those four statements that we've just covered, faithful proclamation of Christ and his commandments or his teachings, obediently abiding in Christ, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age, recognizing that you are not without or separated from Christ. His Holy Spirit is here, and abiding in him means that his spirit is living in you and you living in him, him working through you, unity, togetherness. I'm teaching, Christ is teaching this to all the disciples that are there, teaching them together, hey, go and do this, remember the things that I've taught you. Uh, Don't forget those things. And then recognition of who has all authority, where righteousness comes from, and who has all power. It's one of the greatest moments in a coach's history, right? I mean, the great coach Jesus is telling his team here, hey, I'm going to commission you to go and represent me. Here's what you're going to go out and do. 
And I don't want us as a church, as the people belonging to God, as a church labeled as First Baptist Church Lovington, I don't want us to miss this, that this is our call, this is our commission, this is our task. There is no greater task. Everything else is beneath this. I made a joke this week, and, and you can laugh if you so desire, but it's not necessarily a joke. It's truth. It's reality. Uh, one of our many air conditioners on our location here broke again, and our Methodist brothers and sisters uh, were reaping the benefits of a broken air conditioner, if you know what I mean, uh, during a, a great heat wave that we're having now. And uh, as, as one of the technicians came out to service the unit, uh, he, he, he said, I just need to, to let you know that I have bad news. I'm like, well, let me just tell you from the beginning here, everything other than the gospel is bad news. There's only one good news, and the good news is the gospel of Jesus. So everything else is under that. Everything else is less than that. So you could tell me that the air conditioner is great, and I would still tell you it's bad news compared to Jesus. You could tell me that the air conditioner is broken, and you could classify it as bad news, but I'm going to tell you, in verses of what Christ has done for me, it's still bad news because this air conditioner will not save me. It will save me from conversation maybe, but it will not save me. Only Christ can do that. When we get to a moment when we recognize the power, the authority, and the righteousness, righteousness of Jesus, and that he has all power, that he has all authority, and that he has the market on all righteousness, when we recognize that, then I think that we can follow through with what Paul says to the church and or the, the Colossians, we'll call them that. When he says, in everything that you do, in word or deed, do it as if you're working for the Lord. If you go back to the Old Testament that I mentioned to you last week, just to the Shema and Deuteronomy chapter 6, you can turn there real quick if you want, so you can read it for yourself, underline it, highlight it. Deuteronomy chapter 6, Old Testament, towards the beginning. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. The Israelites have been saved, have been led out of slavery, and Christ, or God is giving them new direction. He's giving them new uh, challenges, new commandments. He's giving them a new identity, and in their new identity, he says these things. He starts out with this great commandment. He says in verse 4 of chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one reminding the people there that there is no other God. There is only one God, and it's the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And because of this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. There's no room for not loving Jesus in, in your life. There's no room for not loving God in your life. There's no separation. Instead, with everything that you are, you're going to love God. With everything, because of what he just has done for you. They recognized his all authority. They recognized his all power. They recognized his righteousness. And so he gives them this commandment. You're going to love me with everything that you, that you are. I mean, think for a moment, just briefly, how do you define yourself? We've asked this quite a bit, but how do you define yourself? How are you defining yourself? And as you pick that label that you want to de define yourself by, are you loving God with all of that? If it's just mom or just dad or just husband or just wife, if it's just a teacher, just a coach, just a pastor, just a youth minister, whatever it is, just an electrician, whatever it may be, are you loving God with everything that you are? We live in a world where we separate I'm going to love Jesus with everything that I am on Sunday. I'm going to put my Sunday clothes on. And then on Monday, I'm going to put a different uniform on, and I'm going to love those things the rest of the week. 
everything that we are, we should be recognizing the power, the authority, and the righteousness of Jesus. Loving God with everything that we are. Joanne reminded, reminded me this morning, even sitting, even sitting at a beach, you can be reminded of the righteousness, the power, the authority of Christ by watching waves come onto a beach. As you watch clouds, as you're soaring through the air, you can still be reminded of the authority, of the power, of the righteousness of God. As you're in the mountains or in the desert, you can still be reminded of the power and the authority and the righteousness of God. And as one who is following Jesus, one who is a disciple of Christ, this is your task, that you would recognize the power, the authority, and the righteousness of Christ in every part of your life. No separation. And who are we giving credit to? Mandy and I had a conversation with some friends who uh, had a uh, strange relationship with their, with their daughter-in-law. Uh, and the, 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 the strain between them, the, the differences have, have caused this, uh, really this hurt, this separation between them and their daughter-in-law. And then they have a grandbaby. And they're so thankful that they become grandparents. And they can't wait to invest in their grandson's life. He gets to carry on their last name. Uh, they get to really love on them and send them back to their parents. And their daughter-in-law says, no, I don't want him to be around you. I mean, these are godly people. God-fearing. They love Jesus. They want other people to love Jesus. We talked with them Friday, and they say, we ask, how's the relationship going? It's been a couple of years since all this began. How is it going now? They said, the strangest thing has happened. It's like life change happened. She wants to be in our life. She's letting us be grandparents. We get to hang out with our grandsons. He's spending the night with us. She's, she's talking with uh, other family members. Something miraculous has happened. Well, in a church setting right now, you're thinking, we know the answer is Jesus because it's Sunday. And we just came from Sunday school, so the answer is Jesus. But why can't the answer to that be Jesus on Friday also, or Monday, or Wednesday night, or Saturday morning? I mean, if we're followers of Jesus, who are we giving the credit to? Jesus has all authority and all power and all righteousness. And because of that, we can give him the glory and the credit for working in this person's life. Verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. All right? They shall be on your heart. They shall be with you wherever you go. As you're loving God with everything that you are, even with your heart, God's word will be on your heart with you wherever you go. And then verse 7 says this, And you shall teach them diligently to your children. I want you just to make a connection here. The similarities between this Shema, or this teaching here, or this commandment, and the Great Commission. As you are going, you shall teach them diligently to your children. As you talk of them, when you sit, sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. What's the task? Who are you to be talking about? What, what are you to be recognizing? What are you to be speaking about? What are you to be teaching? You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, so that everywhere you go, you recognize the authority, the power, and the righteousness of Christ, or the authority, the power, and the righteousness of God. It's the same. It's the Great Commission. Christ is saying, I'm going to be with you everywhere. That you be recognizing me working through you. 
That you'd be teaching these things, teaching people to obey as disciples, obeying what Christ has commanded. There is no separation. Everywhere you go, you should be reminded to recognize who Christ is. Maybe, just maybe, one of the faults of the Christian church today is that we aren't recognizing Jesus anymore. I mean, we have jokes about uh, that Baptists can recognize each other on Sunday mornings, but not the barn dance on Friday nights. They don't recognize each other there. They, they can recognize each other on Sunday morning, but they can't recognize each other at the lottery uh, ticket station during the week. Oh, I can't recognize. I don't want to recognize you. We have jokes about this, but I wonder if we've lost because we've separated often, if we've lost even recognition of who Christ is. Because I would dare say that if we truly recognize who Christ is, our lives would be changing and being transformed in his, into his likeness every single day. I told Brian this morning, and I told Mandy over, over the past week, what a task this morning to try and be a, a politician or a salesman to try and convince you that Jesus has all power, that he has all authority, and that he has all righteousness. To try and be the Holy Spirit and to, to make you and woo you into love with Jesus. To, to convince you that Jesus is it. That's a huge task that I cannot do, that only Christ can do through his Holy Spirit. Many years ago, when Mandy was a wee child, and so was I, about 14 or 15 years old, we'd never met. Uh, and in our never meeting, we have no idea about each other at all. Mandy's family and my family are a little bit different. Uh, if you want some kind of similarity or something to, to relate to, you can think about Leave it to Beaver family there, and you can see my family. And if you want to think about the Simpsons, you can think about the Simpsons, and maybe that's, that's Mandy's family. Mandy wasn't raised in church. She wasn't raised in a Christian environment. She wasn't raised by saved parents or saved grandparents. She had no influence of Christ in her life other than maybe an occasional VBS or something like that. I, on the other hand, was drugged to church every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday, every VBS, every camp. I remember going to uh, RA camp and then a kids camp and then I was going to spend the week with my grandparents, and my grandpa was a bivocational pastor, and I showed up on, on Saturday, and he's like, hey, guess what? On Monday, you're going to camp. Three weeks of church camp. Like, I better be trained and equipped. I better be saved after those three weeks for sure. We raised in a, a different kind of environment. At 14 years old, I attend a camp at Hardin Simmons University called Super Summer. And I remember the strangest thing happening ever. Not like uh, somebody was speaking in tongues or somebody levitated off the ground or uh, we put oil in the shape of a cross on somebody's forehead and they, they were changed miraculously and started running at a faster, whatever. I, nothing strange like that. But I remember uh, our leader saying, hey, I want to take the boys in our group and I want to speak specifically to them, 14 years old. He felt a burden. He said, hey, I think it would be necessary for you to begin praying for your future spouse. Whoa, 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 I'm 14. Come on, we don't live in that society, that culture. We don't get married this, this early. I'm 14 years old. I think you should begin praying for your future spouse. And so with the direction of the leader, kind of some prompting, what should we be praying for? We began praying for our future spouses. 
or spouse. Not, not like I'm going to have more than one. Okay, you got, you're, you're with me, right? Okay. English is a difficult language. Began praying for my future spouse. I have no idea who that's going to be or even if God's going to grant me a wife ever. I know who I am, and I'm definitely not as good-looking then as I am now, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Funny, Lee. Why is that funny? Began praying for future spouse. At 15 years old, Mandy gives her life to Christ. Praying for future spouse. She attends camp, other things, begins growing, being discipled by a youth minister and his wife at the church she began attending after giving her life to Christ and submitting her life to Christ and surrendering her whole life to Christ. And then at 18 years old, we go back to a camp called Super Summer that I would mentioned already. And as I'm about to leave for camp, and some of you already know this story, my mom says, hey, I want to let you know that I really feel like the, the one that you're going to marry, the one that God has really picked out for you, you're going to meet this week at camp. And I've joked and said, Mom, I'm going to be working with eighth grade girls. That's kind of awkward. And hopefully it's not this eighth grade girl. No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. So all week that week, that's kind of on the back of my mind. And then on Thursday, this miraculous thing happened. Dr. Pepper. You know what I'm talking about, Dr. Pepper? We're at the little snack shack, and I'm buying a Dr. Pepper for a, for a young man, and and uh, Mandy, this young man, is from her church, and she comes up to me and she says, thank you for investing in this student this week. And as we begin to chat, this recognition thing happened, where God told Mandy, hey, you need to recognize this man, right? You need to recognize there's something about, I'm playing that up a little bit, but there's something about this gentleman that, uh, that you need to take note of. And so we began talking, and sure enough, here we are, like several years later, as a married couple. Began praying, began asking, Lord, Lord, let, let my future spouse recognize who you are. Let them be kept out of evil. Lead them not into temptation. Deliver them from evil. Let them see Christ in all uh, that they, they can see. And here we are today. You know, the interesting thing is when we got married, we had somewhat of a traditional marriage ceremony. Maybe you've been to a traditional kind of Christian ceremony in a church building at a First Baptist church, you know, the stained glass windows and the, and the aisles and the lights and the, the groom side and the bride side. You're familiar with this, right? Maybe you've been to a wedding like this. And as I'm walking down the aisle, following my granddad who's, who's uh, giving the, uh, doing the ceremony or whatever, as I'm walking down the aisle, I'm walking through all my people. You know, my people, my family, my friends, my family, my close people, people that were supporting me for the, the past, you know, 19 or, or 20 years. And I get up on stage and I look across and I see my, my people. And some of them are crying. Some of them are like, what is he doing? He's an idiot. Why, why is he getting married so young? Some of them are, are really doubting. But some of them have joined with me and are worshiping. And then you get over here, you got Mandy's people. There's a separation between my people and Mandy's people, groom's people and bride's people. And you know, I'm standing there on the stage and I'm thinking about, I have to convince, right, this is what I'm thinking about. I have to convince my people that this woman who's about to walk down the aisle here is worthy to be loved. I have to convince them, hey, 
Not only do you want to continue to support me, but now you get to support, now you get to support my bride. She's worthy of love. She's worthy of, I promise you, I promise you. And you feel this moment like you're trying to sell this moment. Become the salesman or this politician to sell the moment. I promise you, tr- just trust me. She's worthy to be loved. She's worthy. She's worthy of it. And then she begins walking in the aisle, dressed in white and beautiful, more beautiful than ever in her life at that moment. She's dressed in white. She's walking down the aisle. People begin to turn and say, you know what? We support Matt. And he's telling us to trust him. So maybe this, this bride truly is worthy of love. Trying to convince people, recognize this one who is worthy of love. In Matthew chapter 21, there's this moment where this triumphal entry happens. You're familiar with it. We celebrate it on Palm Sunday. This worship of Jesus happens. You can turn there, Matthew chapter 21. This incredible worship scene happens. It's not a Southern Baptist worship scene, and I'll point out why here in a second. But this incredible worship scene happens as this triumphal entry happens where people begin to recognize the power, the authority, and the righteousness of Jesus. Matthew 21, verses 1 and following. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples. Jesus is always sending, by the way. Verse 2 says, saying to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. So already in this worship service, we're beginning to see that Christ is putting on display his power and his authority. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord sent you. And verse 4 says this, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. It's almost like the organ is playing at the wedding march, and everybody hears that chord on the, on the organ, and it, it fills the room. And everyone stands up because the bride is about to enter. Everybody turns and looks. And the groom stands and says, that's the one. See this here. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you humble and mounted on a donkey on a coal, on the, on the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. Already they began to see his authority and his power. And they trusted in that. Verse 7, they brought the, the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Petals on the ground as the, as the king is coming out. Palm branches on the ground as the king is about to enter this glorious moment, this triumphal entry, people recognizing the power and the authority of Christ, recognizing this, a celebratory parade, 
as people begin to recognize who Jesus is. And the crowds, verse 9 says this, and the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting praises. They were worshiping through song, through shouts, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, oh save us. Please save us. They recognized what? They recognized his power. They recognized his authority as king. And now they're beginning to recognize, oh, save us, righteous one. Oh, save us, the one who has the market, who's cornered the market on righteousness. Save us, oh, righteous one. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, who is this? The wedding bells are crashing. Uh, tambourines are, are being smashed together. Clapping, shouting. People are hearing Hosanna. People are hearing, oh, save us. Why are they yelling that? What do they mean? Who's, what, what's wrong with them? Why are they in need of rescue? Oh, save us. And who is it that's going to save them? When they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. They began to recognize and recognize the power, the authority, and the righteousness of Jesus. At this great triumphal entry, this moment where people recognized Jesus for who Jesus truly is. This great moment in history, this moment where we see a glimpse of what is to come. Turn to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, starting in verse 1. And after this, John, who has seen this revelation, after this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just, for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! And the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne saying, Amen and Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. And then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. See, here's even in this heavenly moment, 
Even in this revelation, John wanted to worship a heavenly being. And the heavenly being, the angel said, don't worship me. Only worship the one true God. And then we get to this triumphal re-entry. Verse 11 says this, Then I saw heaven opened. Can you imagine for a moment back to that first triumphal entry? Can you imagine a dad and his son standing maybe on the sidewalk, if there was a sidewalk? And the son says, Dad, who is this? Who is this one riding on this donkey? They're, they're calling him king. Is he really a king? And the dad just leans down and whispers, this is the one that prophecy has, has told us about. This is Jesus the Christ. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And then it, if he had access to it at the time, maybe he would even say this to his son. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Dad, are you sure about this? Are you sure about Yes, I'm sure. And he is above all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. But are you sure about this? Yes, I'm sure, son, I'm sure. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Back to Revelation chapter 19, verse, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, no longer a donkey, but now a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one but himself knows. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God of the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Can I remind you this morning of who you serve Can I remind you this morning of the only one who is worthy to be served? Can I remind you this morning of the only one worthy to surrender to, to submit to? The only one worthy of being recognized ever in the history is the Ancient of Days, is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. The only one worthy of living any moment for is Jesus. And as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, let us follow the King of Kings. Let us wholeheartedly worship Him in everything that we do as if we were working for Him, the King of Kings. Lord, help us this morning to recognize the power, the authority, and the righteousness of Jesus. There is no one worthy of bowing down to John was reminding us about that this morning in Revelation 19, that there's no one, not even angels, worth bowing down to to worship. Only Jesus. We thank you for the moment 
the triumphal entry where we see our humble king, our suffering servant, our savior, who we can cry out to and he will forgive us. God, thank you for being incredible. Thank you for working in our life despite who we are. Thank you for showing up at the right time in our weakness as sin was bringing us death and yet you rescued us. And God, as our representative this morning as the people belonging to you, help us to recognize that you have all power, that you have all authority, and that you have all righteousness. For those in the room this morning, they're kind of waffling back and forth or wrestling with, with the doubts of, is Christ worthy of my worship? Is he worthy of my job? Is he worthy of my family? Is he worthy of my hobbies, my career? Is he worthy of my language? Is he worthy of my time? Lord, continue to work in their life so that they recognize who you are. God, encourage us. Convict us, motivate us through your word this morning. And help us to look forward to that day when we, as your bride, as the people belonging to you, in a symbolic moment when we see you standing there in all glory, when we walk the aisle, we see you, and us being clothed in righteous white robes, not because of anything that we've done, but because of your blood, that help us to fall down and worship you and you alone. God, help us to see the moments, the simple moments maybe that we would call them, the moments when waves are crashing up against the shore, the moments when we see a suffering brother or sister rejoice in what Christ has done for them and is doing for them and is going to do for them. God, as we see moments where people are sharing the gospel, Moments where people are recognizing in their own life the power and the authority of Jesus and then declaring that, proclaiming the excellencies of that to their neighbors, to their co-workers, to their family, to their friends, to strangers. We're able to see you in those moments. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would work. We know that you have not stopped that you are faithful and you are true, that you are King of kings, you are Lord of lords. So help us to walk in a manner worthy of that. Help us to respond to you this morning, not seeking glory for ourselves, but so that you receive all glory and honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Time of invitation, inviting you to respond to Jesus. We're inviting you to worship him through song.